Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. Well, uh, when was Etzheim started? What year? Early 2000. So it's like almost 18 years or 17 years uh, a sermon or a drash for Hanukkah is taught at its time. I really don't know what to teach the, uh, this early afternoon because uh, Rabbi David taught you many good and important things and I couldn't do the research uh, what was said here and what, is, what was not. Well, if it's going to be some repetition of what happened before or earlier in the years of Eitzheim's existence, I hope it's okay. After all, it's Hanukkah. It's a very joyful feast. And you know uh, probably uh, that Hanukkah is called Sukkot in Kislev. So it's like similar to the Feast of Tabernacle, but in winter. And it's not, uh, it's, uh, it's not like uh, any, some theological concept based upon that Hanukkah is also eight days, the same as Sukkot and also another feast. Do you remember another feast that is eight days? Oh, come on. Passover, Pesach. So like the first feast of uh, Leviticus 23 and the last feast, they are eight days. So Exodus celebrated eight days. Sukkot, we finally reached the destination, celebrated at eight days. And Hanukkah is also eight days. As the Maccabees, as the Jewish righteous warriors, or let's say like rebels, partisans, who got to the temple back then in 2nd century B.C., they rededicated the temple and they celebrated the feast of Sukkot. And the history tells us that the people came to celebrate Hanukkah at that time, the feast of dedication, even bringing the palm branches and the, and the branches uh, and parts of the trees that are usually used for Sukkot. And they also sang the, the same psalms of praise. So they celebrated the first Hanukkah, they celebrated like Sukkot. Well, Sukkot, we reach the destination, it's entrance of the, in the land, we build the temple, the temple was destroyed, the next temple was rebuilt, but then it was desecrated, and then it was renewed. Hanukkah is the celebration of a certain renewal. And as every feast, Hanukkah points us in the past, but also points us in the future. By the way, uh, where in the Bible is Hanukkah described? John 10.22. Is it it? Wow, you are so Protestant. In the Catholic Bible, it is more in-depth described there in the book of Maccabees. (laughs) 
yeah, I know we are, we are Protestant, we are Jewish, and it's not part of like Tanakh as it, as it is, but listen, it's part of the Jewish history and it's described there. So if I would be speaking in the Catholic Church right now about the Hanukkah, they would know the history much better than the Protestants. And even sometimes better than even many Jewish people today. So it is described in uh, the book of Maccabees. And uh, how many books, uh, books of Maccabees are there? Well, two and four, depending in what Bible you look at that. But usually it's four books of Maccabees. Sometimes they're repetitive. For example, the fourth book of Maccabees uh, describes more in-depth what is already in the first and in the second. And one particular regard that we are going to uh, talk about. But uh, you see, as I mentioned, with, the, with every feast in the Bible, with every biblical feast, it points us in the past, it's, it was already there, and it points us also in the future. Like, for example, Passover. We came out of Egypt. Was it it? No. Yeshua got to die in Passover. The feast of first fruits. Was it just back then, thousand years ago, as we were going out of Egypt? No. Yeshua rose from the dead. The feast of Shavuot, the Pentecost. Is it just in the past, as the Torah was given and the covenant was cut with our people? No. The Holy Spirit was uh, poured out on, uh, on the disciples in Acts chapter 2. And since then, we celebrate the establishing of the new covenant. We can leave the consequences of the new covenant related to the Holy Spirit. And the full feasts of Israel, they point us primarily in the future. The same is the case with Hanukkah. Do you know where the, uh, where the gospel also relates to Hanukkah pretty clearly? In Matthew chapter 24. Would you like to turn uh, to this uh, passage with me? So Matthew chapter 24, verse uh, 15. Yeshua is talking about future. And he says, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet of Daniel. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the house stop, go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their clock. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Shabbat. For then there will be great distress or tribulation. 
unqual and unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. And then Yeshua is describing the future events and how it's going to happen approximately. But the passage that I was reading to you right now from Matthew chapter 24 verses 14 through 21, it's almost word by word quotations of the events described in the book of Maccabees. So, the same terminology that is used by Daniel, the abomination that causes desolation, going to the mountains, troubles on Shabbat, hard circumstances of women with children, and also great distress, the same, almost the same wording. It will be the great, it was, at that time it was written, it was great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. So the same wording we see in the book of, uh, the books of uh, Maccabees, Destri- describing the events of Hanukkah. And the Jewish people at the time of Yeshua, at the apostolic times, they knew these events. They celebrated Hanukkah. They still heard the stories of Hanukkah. This terminology was very much familiar to them. So now try to imagine you as a Jew of that time standing there and listening to Yeshua saying these words. What it means? Yeshua. You are talking of Hanukkah, but the Hanukkah of the future? Amazing. Yes, there is another Hanukkah coming. And this Hanukkah is related to the tribulation of the future and desecration of the temple of the future and the Messiah coming back to rededicate the temple. So the Hanukkah that we celebrate these days, it's the prophetic feast pointing us in something what is going to happen according to the Messiah, Yeshua, and his words, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me just quickly uh, look at one of the three passages from the book of Daniel that are dealing with uh, abomination of desolation. Uh, This one is uh, particularly very remarkable. So, uh, Daniel chapter 9, from uh, verse uh, 25. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, Mashiach, Messiah, the ruler, comes So until the anointed one, Mashiach, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And verse 26, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one, Mashiach, will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. 
War will continue until the end, and desolation have been decreed. And verse 27, I read as well. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. It's like repetitive. And it happened in the time of Hanukkah. To some extent. But the Jewish people. At the time of Yeshua. They knew. The Hanukkah. What happened. Fulfilled Daniel. But not completely. What we just read in the Daniel 9. It's not. It's like story of Hanukkah. But not in its fullness. There has to be the time of completion. Of whole restoration, of the rebuilding, renewal, reestablishing. If you if you want, read this passage more carefully later in, uh, at your home or wherever. Do Bible study on this passage. This passage is uh, many times used to calculate the times of the Mashiach, when he will come, and what uh, what is related to the tribulation. There are a number of theologies related to this. But I'm not going to theologize now about the times and, where, and, uh, and anything regarding the time of the tribulation. No. We're celebrating Hanukkah today, and my point is, it's the prophetic Significance for the future. The Messiah Yeshua is the true fulfillment of the future Hanukkah. He fulfills not just Passover and other feasts. He fulfills Hanukkah. Particularly he is going to bring it to its fullness. And how he is doing that. We are going also now to find out. From the story of this feast. Now. Hanukkah is a joyful feast. During Hanukkah. We even not to uh, do any mourning. So uh, during Hanukkah. In Jewish tradition. We even don't sing like morning songs. Or just like uh, slow songs. We just we rejoice. It's. It's Hanukkah. All the songs of Hanukkah, you know, it's like a Hanukkah. So it's just like, it's fun. It's like the day of victory. We don't have many vic- days of victory in, uh, in the Jewish history. Our, our history is just like, oy, 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 vey, and, uh, and something like that. So troubles. And even when the uh, violin plays a Jewish melody, it's like crying. So... Hanukkah is one of those seldom days, besides Purim, when we just celebrate the victory. With Purim, it's a different story. It was like sort of more or less easy victory. We prayed, we fasted, uh, Esther did what Mordechai pushed her to do, actually blackmailed her to do. So, uh, she did it. The king loved Esther. We are saved. 
adjust. Yeah, there is God somewhere, yeah, in the book, and uh, certainly it's a miracle. But it was for the majority of the Jewish people, it was an easy victory, sort of. And it was our physical salvation, so to speak. With the, uh, with the Hanukkah, it's, it's a different type of victory. Some people got to suffer tremendously for this Hanukkah to be celebrated. So, with, uh, with, uh, you're familiar, hopefully, with the story of Hanukkah. We were pushed to become as everybody else. As the Jewish people, we were motivated first by a good, by good opportunities, motivated to assimilate, to be like everybody else, to celebrate whatever, to eat whatever, and to read whatever. And many of us did it. We assimilated. We were assimilating in big numbers. It remind, it reminds probably in the history like the beginning of a, end of 19th or so beginning of the 20th century in uh, Europe. Jewish people were assimilating. It reminds the situation even here with the Jewish people in the United States. We're assimilating. Be like everybody else. Forget about all the regulations that God has given to you. Forget about your identity markers. Just be like everybody else. There were some godly ones, some righteous, pious Jews who said, no, we're not going to do that. The abomination of desolation in the temple, it was like one of the final drops just on the scales. Some pious Jews couldn't take it any longer. The abomination of desolation, it was, uh, it was some, uh, some would say, some Jewish tradition or history would say it was uh, a false sacrifice, like a pig uh, offered on the altar in the temple. Another Jewish tradition says there was a statue of an idol put uh, in the Holy of Holies. The temple was desecrated. The, The enemies, they tried to convert. At that moment, they were trying to convert Jewish people to become like everybody else. The problem was not with Jewish God, with the God of Israel. The problem was with the Jewish people to believing just and only solely in this one God. They would never agree, the pious Jews would never agree that the king is, can also be a God. And the face of philosophy, or worldview of the, of the king, of pagan king, is the right one. The philosophy at that time was just believe whatever you want to believe in and let others to believe their way. Just accept other beliefs as well and be tolerant. Is it not like ringing a bell for us today? It was pretty similar at that time. But for the Jewish people... Shema was the essential foundation of our worldview. There is no other God. I mean, the gods of other religions, there are no gods. 
They are not gods. Not at all. By no means. It's insulting for the, for the pagans, right? It's very insulting. And the pagans don't like it. So the Jewish people, they were pushed to abandon everything what was considered at that time as their identity marker. And guess what it was? Shabbat, circumcision, reading of the Torah, and some dietary restrictions. Nobody talked about like shrimp or crab, swine, pig. That was the marker. (laughs) Just like, eat some of this, and you will be like us. You don't need to eat it if you don't like it on a regular basis. But just for us to see that you are a tolerant one, eat it. Well, today, with many Jewish people, even in the United States, it would be just the most natural thing to do. You go to a restaurant, it's nice deal, soft meat, eat it. Unfortunately, at that time, for many Jewish people, it was also the case. But for some pious Jews, they would uh, never, uh, never eat it. In the book of Maccabees, particularly in the second Maccabees and the fourth of Maccabees, we have, uh, we have stories of uh, Jewish martyrs who were tortured, humiliated, killed brutally just for not submitting to the pagan regulations. Even for rejecting the pork that was offered to them to eat. And the description of this brutality of their death is so strong, so powerful. Particularly in the Jewish tradition, uh, it's written in the second and the fourth book of Maccabees and also in Talmud. The story of a mother, Hannah, and her seven sons. They were taking all eight of them. Mother and seven sons. They were taken and they were offered to eat swine, pork, for their life to be spared. And they rejected that. And one by one, one after another, they were tortured brutally. I even don't, I thought maybe I should read it here. And then I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. But if you want, you can go ahead, either like uh, 2nd Maccabees chapter 7, or like 4th Maccabees, almost uh, like half of this this book, describes this torture in detail. And the mother was watching their sons being tortured and murdered. And she encouraged them to do so. And the brothers were encouraging each other to stay firm and not to confirm with the, with the enemies. They were tortured for their belief. 
And the Jewish tradition describes the death of the seven sons of Hannah. And Hannah herself, after the last son died, she went up and killed herself, uh, falling down from the roof top. The Jewish tradition describes this story as the best illustration of Kedush Hashem, glorifying of the name of God. You know, in Jewish tradition, glorify God, it's not in in first place singing hallelujah or praise God in the first place. It's being ready to sacrifice yourself for the sake of God and his righteousness. I'm glad that we can uh, we can sing hallelujah and we can uh, sing the songs of praise. But look, in comparison to what glorifying the name of God biblically and Jewishly is, please don't misunderstand me. It's a cheap glorifying. It's an easy. We need to do it. It gives us much joy. But that's nothing in comparison to something what we might be able or be pushed to endure in the future. I'm not going to read the, uh, the story of this torture. But I want to read you something from these books that prepared the way for Yeshua to arrive and lay and solidified the foundation for Yeshua to die in our stead and to sh- and for Yeshua to shed this blood for us to be saved for us to be redeemed second book of maccabees chapter 7 verse 30 uh, 36 Now, I will, I will read uh, verses 37 and 38. The youngest brother, after his six brothers died, he said, I, like my brothers, give up body and life for the loss of our ancestors, appealing to God to show mercy soon to our nation and by trials and plagues to make you confess that he alone is God. And through me and my brothers to bring to an end the wrath of the Almighty that has justly fallen on our whole nation. Do you see what he is talking? He considers the death of his brothers and his own death. As the ransom for the whole nation. He says, my sacrifice is to avert the wrath of God that is justly falling upon our nation. First, uh, first Maccabees chapter 6 verse 28. Dying. 
One of them said, Be merciful to your people and let our punishment suffice for them. Make my blood their purification and take my life in exchange for theirs. You see what's going on? Dying. They consider themselves dying for purification of the people. And uh, one more passage. That is like conclusion to this story. It's 4th Maccabees chapter 17 verses 22. And through the blood of those devout ones. And their death as an atoning sacrifice. Divine providence preserved Israel. That previously had been mistreated. It blows my mind. This passage clearly speaks that the Jewish people at that time believed that a righteous one who dies glorifying the name of God for the sake of righteousness. He can be the atonement sacrifice, atoning sacrifice, preserving Israel. If not the story of Hanukkah, we would never find such a clear passage anywhere else in the Bible. Although the doors were open, the concept was there, but never stated so clearly. You remember, in order for the nation to be saved, usually in the Bible, somebody got to suffer, right? We are reading in, uh, in the weekly uh, parasha, we uh, read... Uh, the story of Joseph. Uh, you remember, Joseph was a great man, but before he was, he became a great man, he was sold. He was sent to Egypt. He was considered to be dead. He was imprisoned for his righteousness. Actually, he suffered a lot, and then he was glorified or just raised up by the Pharaoh to become. Like the first man in the entire country. For what? For, for what purpose? To save his family. He didn't know that. God did. God knew that. And Joseph says, said to his brothers, It's not you, but God sent me here. For you to be saved. Everywhere in the Bible. Even like with Abraham bring, doing Akedah. Uh, so bringing his son Isaac for a sacrifice. It solidified the covenant of establishing of our people. Suffering was always prophesied there. In Isaiah 53... We see the servant of God who is suffering on behalf of his nation, of his people. But there could be different interpretation of that. The second and fourth book of Maccabees tells us 
that the Jewish people at the time of Yeshua did believe that one can die on behalf of the entire nation. It prepared the way for Yeshua to come. It prepared the way for Yeshua, the righteous one, the one who never did any sin, to suffer and to die. When today a Jewish person tells me, there is no possible possibility and there is no any reason for somebody like Jesus to die on the cross for the nation to be saved. My question to him is, do you celebrate Hanukkah? And if you do, you should know that we had this victory not because just a coincidence or a pure miracle. We had this miracle, we had this miracle, we had this victory, we had this salvation because of the righteous one who were sacrificing themselves for the God's, for the God's punishment to be averted, to be taken away from the Jewish people. You see the point? We celebrate Hanukkah today. Why? Because some people paid their life for us to sing the happy songs of Hanukkah. And we will sing these songs. And it's legitimate for us to do. But while we sing these songs, we got to remember those who paid their lives. Glorifying the name of God. And we need to make them as the models for us to follow. As the patterns for us to emulate. Several passages from the New Testament now that is related to what I just described about Hanukkah. First of all, in the book of Hebrews it's written, the chief of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. Jesus, Yeshua, sacrificed himself on our behalf for God's wrath to be taken away from us. He paid the ransom. He became the atoning sacrifice for us. It was legitimate according to the Messianic prophecies in Tanakh. It was legitimate according to the Jewish worldview of the second temple period of that time. It was absolutely legitimate. He was tempted and experienced in many things. But never did any sin, any sin. He could avoid the death. But he went to death. To elevate the name of God. For the sake of God to fulfill the Father's will. He suffered till the death. And death on the cross. 
He took the image of a slave. He was humiliated, beaten, tortured for us to have joy and celebration, sort of like Hanukkah. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, verses 15 through 17. Romans 8, 15 through 17. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with the Messiah. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, beautiful passage. Encouraging passage. Uplifting passage. Abba, that's, that's like a special way we, we believe and say we can approach, uh, we can approach God. There is a warning in this passage. And you can notice it. Now, if we are children, verse 17, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with the Messiah. Now, it's not period. The sentence is not over. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. My goodness. How often I under, underestimate the significance and meaning of the suffering. Be it the, be it, be it the suffering during the persecutions. Or the suffering of the circumstances of health issues or whatever. According to the Bible, suffering is precious. Suffering is important. Suffering makes us like Jesus, like Yeshua himself. Suffering brings us closer to God. We hate suffering, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. According to the Bible, suffering makes us better. Suffering makes us purer. Suffering makes us closer to God if we look at God and are ready to follow him in all circumstances. Even when the circumstances are not as good as we would pray and like them to be. Suffering is precious. Suffering unites us with the Messiah. Suffering brings us with him into his glory. Especially if it's the suffering because of our belief. Because of our faith. Another passage. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29. For me it's a very scary passage. Very scary. Everything is so good. We have salvation. Hallelujah. Now, verse 29, Philippians chapter 1. For it has been granted to you on behalf of the Messiah, 
not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Well, my goodness, it has been granted. The salvation has been granted to us. The joy, the spirit, the sonship, many different things are granted to us. Hallelujah. There is a string attached. There is something else what is granted. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only on behalf of the Messiah, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And one more passage. Second Timothy, chapter 2, verse 10 and following. Second Timothy, chapter 2, verse 10 and following. Paul writes, Therefore I endure, endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in the Messiah Yeshua. With eternal glory. Does it sound familiar to you? We were reading the same, almost the same ideas from the second and fourth Maccabees. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation. Verse 11. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Perseverance, enduring, suffering. It's granted. We love to hear the stories about supernatural salvation. Supernatural healings, miracles. Praise God. He is good. His mercy is above all our comprehension. But there is also something else granted to us. To suffer for him. And maybe, in case of some, even to die for him. And you know, the one who will receive probably the most of the glory is going to be not the one who shouted hallelujah more than everybody else. And not the one who preached to a big crowds. And not just the one who was seemingly so spiritual. It will be first of all the one who suffered. And glorified the name of Yeshua in tough circumstances, in tribulations, in distress. I'm not, I'm not willing to encourage you to pray for a distress. No. It's coming anyway. In one way or another, it's coming. Yeshua encouraged us to pray for the distress not to come soon. And that's okay. But the real faith 
is sin not when everything is good. Not when the miracles happen and we're happy. The real faith is sin. And shining like a great Hanukkah light in the great tribulation, in the big distress. The darker is the circumstance, the stronger is the light of our face. Well, I talk a lot about suffering, but it's Hanukkah after all. I need to finish with something good and encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, because, because as Ben asked me, what song do you want after the, after the drash? I said, how about a good Hanukkah song? I hope we are going to have a joyful Hanukkah song. And we have all reasons to rejoice. And at the end, I want to finish my drash with the great sermon, short sermon, very short sermon, that the Messiah Yeshua said for Hanukkah. It's very familiar to all of you, but it's so encouraging to read it again. John chapter 10, verses 22 through verse 30. Then came the festival of dedication, Hanukkah. At Jerusalem. It was winter. And Yeshua was in the temple courts. Walking in the Solomon's colonnade. The Jewish people who were there. Gathered around him saying. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah. Tell us plainly. Yeshua answered. I did tell you. But you do not believe. The works I do in my father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not of my, uh, not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And in this sense, happy Hanukkah. God bless you. Shabbat Shalom.